welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two guests, Richard and Eric. Richard and Eric, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Eric going first? Certainly. Well, thank you. Uh, so I'm Eric Vogel. I lead the tech and telco media team for Qualtrics. So we're an industry-focused team uh, within Qualtrics, really addressing the challenges uh, within the tech, media, and telco industry. Superb. And Richard? Uh, Richard Whittington. I lead the global media industry for SAP um, and happy to be here today. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And as kind of a bit of a background to this, we we know that in this last summer, summer 2021, Qualtrics conducted an online panel survey to about a thousand respondents who are current streaming television customers. What was the outcome of that, Eric? Yeah, there were well a lot of a lot of interesting insights uh, that came out of it, and like you said, we we did uh, survey over a thousand. I think the, the exact number was about a thousand fifty different customers um, across um, a wide demographic slice. And interestingly, what we were seeing was that, uh, not surprisingly, I guess, is that the market is dominated by a handful of the top streaming providers, and their names we all recognize: uh, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Um, tend to get the bulk of the attention from the, the customers we spoke with. And this was for uh, those that are actively streaming as well as those that don't actively stream, but those are recognized brands in the industry and recognized names. Um, what we were really trying to ascertain as part of the study is really understanding what was going to happen post-COVID. Uh, we had seen uh, pretty consistently through 2020 that there was definitely an uptick in streaming services um, through COVID as, as more and more users were stuck at home. Uh, looking for alternative entertainment uh, and entertainment options, home-based entertainment options. So we did see uh, a growth in streaming services. And we're really trying to understand what was going to happen post-COVID. Was this just a, a short-term blip and people would go back to normal? Or would we start to see that, hey, this was becoming the new normal? And even post-COVID, uh, we would expect to see that streaming services continue to be top of mind for customers you know, consuming video and TV-type entertainment. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing is with this study, um, one of the other findings was that typically, you know, our customers are, are uh, subscribing to three and a half to four services today. And this is up, uh, obviously, over the last few years. Uh, so we are seeing more uh, more streaming services being consumed and the notion that they're going to continue with those streaming platforms, that we're not going to see that pullback that we had expected. I know, Richard, you had looked at the survey as well. Any insights that jumped out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that really uh, surprised me, and again, it was a very North American-focused uh, survey in the sense that um, we considered that market to be the most mature, if mature is the right word, for, for streaming. Um, but there's still a lot of cord cutters that have not cut the cord yet out there, or potential cord cutters. Like 50% of the people we surveyed um, you know, are potential cord cutters. There's still a lot of growth. I think we did have a premise that said, 
as um, you know, these dominant players started to, to to carve up the market share between them, that there wouldn't be any room left. That we we originally had a hypothesis that people would have about three and a half services, uh, including gaming and music. But that that didn't kind of pan out in the study, really. Um, and I think you know the the other interesting part for me is um, obviously the Netflix, the the predominant one, because they got there first. But the really um, market share was really kind of spread out amongst uh, the rest of them pretty evenly, the big four. And so you know when we talked with with Eric as well, um, the question became is how do I play in this space with the dominance of the of these big players? Is there room? And what do I need to do in that space to be competitive and carve out a, a profitable share for me? I think the other piece that really kind of jumped out at me around the watching habits was people are streaming on a regular basis during a week. You know, something like 52% of the, the population surveyed streamed every day. And if you add the, you know, the four to six days a week crowd, it's another 22%. Um, and then where people were watching this, and, and again, this may be a little COVID skewed in the sense that we were all somewhat confined um, to home, is the smart TV and the connected device were really, you know, 82% above the tablet and the phone. And I think as people emerge back into, quote, unquote, some normalcy, uh, you will see the tablet and the phone piece increase. But they were the two things that struck me initially out of it. I think there's some other things we'll talk about in a second that uh, was somewhat of a surprise. But um, the dominance of the big four, the, the growth of the big four fueled by COVID, and um, the mixture of, of business models. Still, some of it was ad-supported, some of it was subscription-supported, and maybe we'll chat about that when we talk about customer experience. Yeah, it's interesting. I think my um, consumption of streaming services actually went down during the last year and a half, probably because I wasn't traveling as much, whereas, you know, it would be I would download a series and consume it while I was on planes, you know, offline, whereas now I'm at home. So it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm working more, <laughs> so not, not not watching as much streaming services as I was as I was when I was traveling. But I, I guess I'd be an outlier in that in that kind of scenario. Uh, you, you mentioned, Richard, the big four. And, you know, as you said, we, we're all kind of familiar with them. But how many others are there? Is this a really long tail or is it that there's just two or three more? Uh, I think that remains to be seen. I think what you will see and the, the interesting question, for example, you know, it's not that difficult to put up a, a streaming service of reasonable content, um, you know, for example, around DIY enthusiasts. And so I think you will sort of see a, a long tail how long that long tail is, I don't think we know yet. Um, but now, you know, you have other services coming into the space like Paramount Plus or Discovery Plus, and, and it remains to see how they slot in that sort of continuum from major market share to adequate market share to long tail market share. I don't know, Eric, if you have anything to chime in on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we're definitely seeing a an increase in that long tail as um, everybody is is becoming a streamer at this point. And, you know, firms like YouTube have made it very easy to get your content online and start to monetize that content uh, without even having to own or manage the platform for distribution. Um, so what, what we are seeing is, you know, small niche companies that might have unique content uh, are offering, offering that in a streaming format. So you look at companies like a Beachbody, um, 
where traditionally they had done distribution through DVDs of say exercise videos now offering all of that via streaming. Uh, Les Mills, another one. Um, you see that with um, some of the larger brands like a NASCAR, for example, with very much unique content, um, able to stream over their own unique platform. So I think uh, you know, the reduction in the, the setup costs of developing a platform, the ability to leverage existing platforms like a YouTube for, for distribution, uh, as well as the, the reduced costs and sort of setting up your own streaming. I, I think we're going to see a longer and longer tail as these uh, companies that have unique content really are racing to monetize that in a subscription-based model uh, and move away from more of a traditional distribution model. Really, you know, you think about it like a beach body, you've just opened up the globe um, to their to, uh, potential customers for their unique content uh, via a streaming platform. And that would have been a very difficult market for them to go after in a traditional DVD type model distribution. Uh, so we're going to see a lot more of that. I think that long tail is going to continue to expand. Some will be brought into the content aggregation uh, streamers that are bringing together unique content around specific niches, like what Richard said, a DIY network, maybe um, consuming and aggregating a set of DIY content. But I think we're also still going to have those independents that are continuing to monetize their own unique content that they've created. Tom, if I can, if I can add a point to that too, because as I was listening, the other thing that's sort of happened is direct to consumer or streaming has, has crossed industry boundaries. So if you think of our customer, SAP customer Peloton, you know, now we stream our exercises. Whereas before we'd physically go to the gym, um, you know, tonal being another example of that in, in home. I was, I was actually going to bring up Apple's Fitness Plus and ask, does that fit into this category? I think streaming to me is a habit, not a platform or a technology or a, con a type of content. It's the on-demand, anytime, anyplace, any device concept that sort of just exploded because of COVID. And I think the other thing that's interesting is the definition of long tail. Do we now consider TikTok to be long tail? You know, there's plenty of people making plenty of money just by doing 30 second TikTok videos. So does, do we count that in our definition of long tail? Whereas before, in a pure media world, we wouldn't have considered that long tail. Um, but, you know, if you look to, I think the number, and I'm maybe slightly off on this number, but it's about 2 billion hours of, of TikTok was being streamed fairly uh, regularly during uh, during COVID. Um, so again, the landscape changed dramatically, but I think streaming is it will become a verb versus a, a, a particular uh, method of consumption. So not that anyone would want it, but I could set up Tom Raftery Plus, for example, as my own streaming platform. <laughs> will you be ad supported or subscriber supported? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd get any support, but anyway, <laughs> what's the model here in terms of experience versus price versus content? How does that all break out? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, you know, sure. One of the things we did in the in the survey was really try to understand the decision making for those uh, those choosing a streaming service and what really mattered. Now, intuitively, uh, we had assumed it was all about content, right? Having the best content, the most relevant content, current content was driving. And one of the the interesting insights that we got out of the study was, you know, what was top of the list for streamers was ease of nav navigation. So, 82% uh, commented that ease of navigation was number one. 81% uh, said price. 
So those were very or extremely important in their decision making um, to consume a streaming service, um, making the service easy to buy. So that purchase phase of a customer journey and customer experience, 75 percent uh, good customer service was at 72 percent. And fifth on the list, surprisingly, was new or original content. Now, it's still top of the list at 70 percent. But it was interesting to see content kind of grouped up there with experience, ease of navigation, ease of purchase, um, easy to consume, easy to buy easy to cancel. Those were really top considerations as people um, were choosing streaming services and deciding uh, which ones to uh, which ones to consume. So that was kind of an insight. Again, it wasn't just about the content. I think that's what we had expected, that content would obviously be number one. Uh, but uh, surprisingly, you know, content fell at number five on the importance list as customers selected streaming platforms. And Tom, I'll chime in on that too a little bit. I mean, from from my perspective, excuse me, there will always be kind of the equivalent of tentpole titles. So, you know, whether that's uh, a series on Netflix that people will subscribe to, or a series on HBO Max that they will subscribe to and then churn, um, it was really interesting that the customer experience piece was so high relative to content. And I'll give you a personal anecdote here. I'm watching a series on one of the big four, uh, and their method of, of hook, if you like, is they give you the first two seasons for uh, free, in essence, part of the, uh, the subscription. So you get hooked on the characters, the plot line, and then they switch in season three, four to an ad-supported model. And it appears um, that obviously now you're vested in the story. It appears that these ads repeat over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, we're looking at 120 second pod of ads that you've seen five times. And the duration, uh, the frequency of those ads de decreases in relative to um, or increases, sorry, relative to the amount of content you're watching. And it really is a bad, bad customer experience. So the, the long story of that is, I will get through this series. Um, I will never get hooked on a series that has ads supported on the back end again. Um, and it, regardless of how good that content is. Uh, and I think, you know, streaming companies are still trying to figure this out and learn. Um, and, you know, th th there has to be a, a constant pulse and a constant check on how well that customer experience is going. And I think if you um, if you look at the people that are going to emerge uh, as the leaders, yes, new content with big budgets is always going to be a play. But if we come back to that, who's your fourth service, who's your fifth service concept, that ability to have a brilliant experience, um, to, to churn if you want to churn without a lot of pain and suffering, is going to be uh, a significant factor in, in people's decision making. And do we have any numbers around churn? Uh, is, is that a thing? It, it is a thing. Uh, if you look at Netflix um, uh, quarterly results from a, a quarter ago, there was some hint there that, you know, they were seeing some some churn in their subscriber base as we came out of the pandemic. Uh, but within our survey, we found that 80 percent um, of streamers expect to keep their current streaming services over the next six months um, as we move out. So there is, a, you know, we would see churn. So 20% are saying, yeah, we we will churn a bit. And I think that's to be expected as, as we get out of the lockdown situations globally, people get outside, do more, you know, they're reevaluating, do they need those streaming services? But I think what the survey told us was the churn won't be as bad as we thought it might have been. Uh, I think what we've seen now is a conditioning in the market. Com uh, customers are more comfortable with streaming services. 
services. They're more used to downloading an app on their smart TV or on their Apple TV or Roku device, uh, subscribing to these services. They're comfortable entering their uh, credit card information into this and, and some signing up for a year where there may have been some hesitancy before. I think um, you know customers are saying, no, we're, we're comfortable with streaming. Um, and um, I think um, you know, we heard this earlier about the, the cable cutting. You're seeing more and more of that. So people are saying, look, I'm shifting a discretionary budget. I used to spend $100 a month on my uh, cable TV. I've cut that. And now I'm going to spend $60 or $70 on, on streaming. And uh, I feel better that that I'm saving money, that I've, I've reduced my $100 bill, and that gives me some discretionary budget to spend on streaming services. So again, the churn wasn't as bad as we thought post-pandemic. We expected to see a little bit greater, greater churn. We do know 80% are going to keep their services at least for the next six months. Um, and we are seeing, interestingly, we are seeing some upticks in some other areas of streaming. We, again, typically think about it from a, a TV show or a movie content perspective. But if you look at news and news delivery, um, we saw a, an increase there in, in streaming. Now, over the last year, everybody's been tuned into news. If you look at news rates, Nielsen's rates, um, what they're showing on, um, on newscasts, it's been way up here, especially in the U.S. because of uh, the COVID issues as well as political um, things that are happening here within within the U.S., but about 30 percent or 32 percent actually um, of the streamers are uh, subscribing to a, a video news source as a streaming source. And a number of them, about 25 percent, I think it was, um, are subscribing to three news services uh, for news on streaming. And that's that's a big uptake um, compared to where we were just a few years ago. So we might see some churn in some of the bigger providers, but we are definitely seeing growth in some of these other, you know, outside of kind of that video uh, TV uh, uh, movie uh, streaming into other areas of content like news where now we're comfortable getting news and 25% of streamers saying, yeah, I have three different news services that I'm subscribing to and either they're free or ad, ad supported or subscriber supported. But we are seeing an uptake there for sure in, in some of these other streaming uh, services. And that was a bit of a surprise to me too. I think there was high loyalty to news. I think 78% of those people we surveyed said they're extremely likely or somewhat likely to continue to subscribe to a new service in the next six months. So that's sort of a high stickiness to me. I think the other thing I would mention on churn is um, it's an important metric, but it's not the only metric. Uh, I think, you know, things like engagement, time in front of screen, duration in front of screen are also um, an important measure there. So I could continue to subscribe but if I'm not engaging, if I'm not watching it, the likelihood of me, you know, having to look at my uh, my monthly bill, as it were, and start to shave it a little bit around streaming is obviously increased by the fact that I'm not watching it. So I think that's another key metric that those who are going to be very successful in this space are going to have to manage. Uh, and I think, again, I'm a bit of a Peloton junkie. Um, I think Peloton is best in class in this. Um, they are Qualtrics customer, full disclosure, um, in the sense that if I don't show up for an exercise class, I will get a personalized email from my favorite instructor saying, hey, I miss you. And it's little things like that. And of course, there's a lot more guilt associated with exercise than watching a TV show. Uh, but it's little things like that that are customer experience touch points and managing that customer experience um, from a community base. And I think there's a big opportunity um, to create community around these viewing habits. And I think that's sort of the next wave of fandom, of you know uh, advocacy, 
and and viral uh, sharing of subscription um, offers versus looking at it from a traditional direct marketing perspective. So, you know, media is a very social experience. Um, and so the ability to share shows with my friends or do recommendations, I think, is key to, to growth here as we move forward. Yeah, we're starting to see some of the um, companies like Apple, again, for instance, t saying that you can now uh, use FaceTime with group FaceTime with friends and synchronize it with shows that you're watching on TV. So, you know, you can have a group watching experience even while you're in different different um, venues. So it, it it's becoming, to your point, it's becoming um, very, very based on different services that are being offered. And again, with the, the Fitness Plus, you have the same kind of experience that you talked about with Peloton there where you have an instructor and you can do again do it with friends again using things like FaceTime so I, I think a lot of these things and and the news the news uh, outlets as well I mean there's going to be I assume a huge growth in that market given how sticky it is and uh, you know how many news outlets there are no I'd agree do we have an idea? I mean, Richard, you said at the start about 50%, I think it was, of people are now after cutting cord and, and moving from uh, cable and or satellite to, to streaming. Is that, first of all, did I hear the number correctly? Is it about 50%? And is that one that's, you know, kind of growing rapidly or steadily? Or what is that looking like? I mean, from my perspective, yeah, it's around about 50%. I think it's slowing a little bit as you know we come out of post-COVID. I uh, I'm still surprised. It's actually interesting. The the population that were non-streamers still considered things like price, ease, ease to navigate, and customer services as good, and that's not traditionally what the the cable companies are renowned for. <laughs> Um, but I think I think they're waking up to the fact that they've got to raise their game too. But I also want to um, kind of keep in perspective here. And it's also books, magazines are getting streamed. I mean, podcasts, you know, uh, are, are growing and that's another form of streaming. So I, I think we have to look at it uh, and obviously gaming. We have to look at it across all of these things and come back to what does it take to be a world class, best in class streaming provider? Um, and I would still, you know, before this study, I would have had the, the notion that it's customer experience. But after this study, I'm really convinced that CX and customer experience is a deciding factor in this growth as we go forward. And what does that mean? For me, it means, you know, to look at my own personal experience, right? The content has to be good. Uh, that gets you, you know, that's opening table stakes, right, in a way. Um, it means I have to be able to find it very easily. Um, it means I have to be able to share it with my friends very easily because I believe it is a social experience. And I believe that um, my ability to uh, remove myself from that service should be frictionless. Um, and so that I'm comfortable to recommend a service to somebody because it's not like trying to break out of jail to, to get out of it. And I think the realization is that, you know, let's not lose the, the engagement piece of it, but this churn thing is going to be cyclical. It's not going to be linear. It's not like you have a customer for life uh, when you sign up for one of these streaming services. You have a customer for the duration of which the content is compelling. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Richard. I'll add that, you know, as we think about the customer's journey 
you know, as they they go through that awareness phase, they learn about a streaming service, they make a buying decision. You know, that's all critical to the experience. Is it easy to understand what content's available? Is it easy to understand the pricing uh, packages and the different options? Um, you know, it used to be there was one, you know, maybe two Netflix options. If you remember back even before they did streaming, um, you could get one disc in the mail a month, you could get two, you could get three, and you really didn't have a lot of options. And now it's you've got family plans, you've got single plans, you've got limited plans. You've got ad supported, non-ad supported. So, you know, how easy it is to make that, that purchase decision, uh, how easy it is to buy. Is it just a credit card swipe? Is it, is it a PayPal uh, initiation? You know, what is the, the purchase? Is it bundled into my, maybe my network provider? So does it come free? You know, you see like AT&T offering streaming services and other of uh, the network providers partnering up with some of these streamers or even owning some of these streaming companies. So how easy is the purchase process? Um, how easy it is, is it to initiate? Initiate the service. Um, you know, I, I have a, a mother that's uh, advancing in age. You know, for her to go to an Apple TV and download an application and sign in and create a pass, uh, password, that's not trivial for her. Um, and I don't think it's uh, for the aging population that might not be as tech savvy. Um, it might not be that easy. In fact, I think that's probably some of the, the hesitancy we're seeing from cord cutting is you know, whether we like it or not, cable is easy. I flip through the channels, uh, pay-per-view, they made it very easy. I can still get things on demand just by clicking on pay-per-view and I don't have to install apps or have smart TVs. Uh, so how easy is that onboarding process? How easy is the um, the operate phase of that? So am I able to get what I'm looking for? Is it easy to find? Um, if I have a problem, how easy is it to get it resolved? You know, if my video clarity is I signed up for HD and I'm only getting SD, well, how can I fix that? Is there a, a number I can call? Is there support that I can get? That is all part of the experience. And then to Richard's point at the end, am I going to renew this service? Does it auto renew? Do I, can I cancel? Um, what's the, the end game look like? So as we think about experience, it's really about managing through that entire customer journey uh, from that very first awareness phase where they're first hearing about that streaming capability and that content all the way through how easy it is to buy, how easy is it to initiate and set up that service? Um, how easy is it to operate, to find the content, to search for content I'm looking for, you know, how many friendly features are there? Really nice little things, you know, Netflix will do, for example, um, here's where you left off. Here's what you were watching when you had to had to leave because your boss walked into the office and now you can re resume uh, re right from where <laughs> right from where you left off. Uh, those types of features, knowing who the who the viewer is and having a, a catalog that is built for me, personalized for me because of it knows who I am and being able to do that personalization. Uh, so that really goes to the heart of the experience they're creating in that operate phase. But again, you got to get a customer there. So it, it really you know, from an experience perspective, very, very important that, that streaming is focused on the end to end journey from the very first time to hear about the brand uh, all the way through that renewal phase where they were deciding to renew or keep that that streaming service. Every step of the way has to be seamless uh, because, look, if my mom can't initiate the service, she's going to churn three minutes later and she's going to churn with an angry phone call um, to to a support center. So you have to be able to uh, really understand the, that experience from end to end and make sure it's seamless all along the way. So Eric, you do know you are that support center, right? Um, so no, so I think, I think the other opportunity that is out there that I think is huge, if you look at some of the, the growth in TikTok usage or Spotify, um, you know, it's all about community or Twitch. Right? It's all about community. And I think there's this next generation of 
streaming consumption that is community-based. So to, to come off of what Eric said, why can't Eric gift a subscription to his mother um, from his from his app? Why can't he put together his, you know, much like Spotify does, his playlist for his mum? Why is it an algorithm from a mach machine that is trying to figure out what you might like versus saying, let me harvest your social graph or let me ho harvest your friends network? Because also at that point, I'm also learning who Tom's friends are so I can market to them. Why aren't these media companies creating community around this content? Because it will exist anyway. You used the example before of Apple and FaceTime around, let's say, The Bachelor or Dancing with the Stars. Why are they not grasping this opportunity to own, manage, and create that community and use that as an upsell to reach new subscribers, but also make it easy for you to discuss what happened in The Bachelor last night or in real time with your friends and, and really you know, creating micro audiences based on referrals. I mean, as a personal example, I have a group of friends I ride my bike with. We keep a spreadsheet offline in Google Docs of all the things that we want to share with each other and say, you should watch that. This was really good. This wasn't so good. This is the service it's on. That's very amateur. And I think, you know, to be fair to be fair to the companies that are launching these services, they launched in, in a, an extremely short period of time in an incredible period in our history. Um, but as the dust settles here, I think there's this whole space of community-based streaming uh, that can grow. And, and as part of that, it's got to be frictionless. It's got to be easy. It's got to be age-sensitive age to those that aren't so tech-savvy. But trust me, even you know, people on the other end of the scale are not that tech-savvy or have, don't have the patience you know, to do it if, uh, if it's not. So it's not just a, an age-related issue. It's a, it's a usage-based issue. Why do we care? I mean, we're SAP slash Qualtrics. Why are we talking about this? What can we do? So I'll start and uh, I'll let, let Richard provide some color commentary. But, you know, from, from a Qualtrics perspective, what we see uh, pretty consistently is what I consider to be a bleed over uh, across industries, whether that's B2B into B2C, B2C back in B2B, in terms of what customer expectations uh, are, are becoming and the rapid advancement in expectation. So, um, for example, it's not uncommon to have, uh, like Richard was saying, somebody in Spotify saying, hey, I've got this shared playlist that I share with everybody. Why don't I have a shared playlist like this now in Netflix? Or they see something that's very easy to do on Apple and saying, "Why well, I can do this on my phone. Why can't I do this in Netflix? Why can't I do this somewhere else? Uh, we always like to point to an example um, in the B2B world uh, of a customer that, uh, that that we have that ships uh, physical product. And it's in the, in the B2B space. It's industrial related products. And uh, they had a customer that came to them and said, look, I can track my Domino's pizza order real time on a Domino's pizza app, but I can't track my order with you real time. Why not? And all of a sudden that expectation has changed. So that customer was happy with that, or that the tracking they did do for 25 years. But the minute they saw that pizza app, they wanted the same thing. Well, that's the same thing in streaming, right? Once one streaming company does something better, um, the expectation is everybody's going to offer that. And again, it's going to bleed over. Hey, Peloton could do this. Why can't Netflix? Why can't Hulu? Why doesn't Disney do that? And that's one of the things I think that we really focus on within Qualtrics is helping customers, our customers, understand what their customers' expectations are of that journey. Hey, why can't I share that playlist? Why can't I do that initiation? So we have the ability to listen real time and really understand what those customers now are looking for, how that expectation has changed 
changed and how it continues to evolve very, very quickly, not just within the streaming industry, but in industries outside that are going to be influencing the streaming industry. So if I can do it in a different industry, why can't I do it here? And especially in technology like Hulu, like Netflix, the customer expectation is, look, you're a technology company. You should be able to do this. I don't expect this from Domino's Pizza, but I expect it from you. And if Domino's can do it, you better be able to do it and provide me that level of, of experience. So that's really where I think where, where we can really help is we think about, you know, that experience is constantly changing. It's constantly involving. The expectations are constantly changing, even outside of streaming. And this really gives um, our customers the ability to listen real time, really understand what's happening. And in high volume business like this, where you're, you're talking millions upon millions of subscribers, adjusting those dials just a little bit, reducing churn, even a point or two, huge, huge top line impacts uh, to the business. So Qualtrics gives them the ability to listen and make those adjustments real time and really dial in that experience uh, that's going to not only allow them to acquire new customers, but also reduce churn in the existing customer base. Sure. So, so Eric, do we call that the domino effect? <laughs> I don't know. I was just listing there. So, um, no, why, Tom, why do we care as SAP? Well, 90% of the revenue in Hollywood passes through SAP. So we are vested in this industry. These are our customers um, serving their customers. And I think, you know, one of the um, interesting kind of twists in all this, and we were with one of the largest growing subscriber-based uh, streamers during this whole process uh, as they grew. What's interesting is um, at the same time as this thing is growing, the back-end analog-based uh, systems are having to change and change dramatically as the rocket ship takes off it. So as this growth happens exponentially, the ability for uh, our customers in, you know, I use Hollywood as an example, to keep up with that change, to create business models that work, to experiment with business models is very, very dependent on their ability ultimately to pay the content creators the right amount of money at the right time for the right level of consumption. So as you see the volume of these transactions, the velocity of these transactions increase dramatically. Uh, I mean, just imagine, for example, how many streams there are of Universal Music's music on a daily basis globally. The, the data is phenomenal. And so our customers are coming to us and asking, how can you help us manage this rocket ship growth in streaming? Because it is, you know, uh, it's on the scale of when we went from buying records to iTunes and we, we went through that journey with Apple there. So for us, we care because we want our customers to grow, as, to as Eric said, the top line. Um, top line creates growth for everybody, creates growth for us too. But I think it's exciting and it's it's a unique, unique time in the industry. Um, and um, it's just fun. <laughs> super, super. Gentlemen, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question that I have not asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this that we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? Yeah, I'll, ju I'll just quickly add, I think there's, you know, one of the things we've got to do, and I know we've talked about this during the podcast, but I really want to reiterate is we think about streaming. Um, again, we traditionally think about TV video, but, you know, when I, a long time ago when I worked in manufacturing, when we do OSHA training, safety training, uh, we would sit in a room, uh, we would sit with a TV and we'd watch videotapes and that's how we did training. You know, that is all now a streaming service, right? Really focused around an industry or a specific uh, use case. But 
really that's becoming streaming. And I think that is the way of distributing content in general now, um, whether it is video content, whether it's unique training content, exercise content, uh, classroom content. You know, I think last year, most kids um, you know, saw wasn't necessarily live classroom content, but it was stream content. Um, you can go to universities now where you watch everything in a streaming format. Um, so everything now, the platform costs have come way down. Uh, fortunately, the network bandwidth is there to support streaming. You know, that's been a hurdle, technology hurdle that has now been largely overcome. Uh, in fact, 5G is going to usher in literally streaming anywhere on any device at any time, uh, whether you're connected with a wire or not. So it's going to open up the, the possibility. I think we need to broaden that perspective of streaming really being about on-demand content delivery. And I think Richard talked about it. it's more than it's more than just video, but really it's really any on-demand content delivered anywhere, anytime um, a customer is looking for that content. And that's really what streaming is. It's almost a business model now or an operating model uh, or even an experience. It's kind of the cloud experience, if you will, for content and any type of content delivery. And I think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity beyond sort of the traditional video and TV content um, extending into any unique content that can be delivered anytime, anywhere um, for any customer um, in a number of different um, uh, monetization models. So I think that's that's what I'll, I'd like to end with and make sure we reiterate is it's a big opportunity and it's growing and the technology barriers have been broken down. It's very easy to get into it. You know, anybody can post their content on YouTube today for free and be a streamer and monetize their content tomorrow. You don't even have to build the platform. And that is, um, that's significant. So again, understanding the importance of experience, understanding the importance of the, the content, understanding organization, initiation and onboarding and making sure those things work smoothly. But, you know, I think streaming in general is it's a big market today, but it's we're only at the beginning. Um, like I said, 5G advanced network capabilities are really going to open that up to just about anybody to stream content. Nice, Richard. And so, Tom, the, the one question I think we uh, we need to ask is if I'm listening to this right now, how do I find out more? How do I go look at this survey? And what do I do to uh, to double click on it? That was my next question. <laughs> so <laughs> if people want to know more, Richard, <laughs> about yourself, Richard, or Eric, or the survey, or any of the things we talked about on the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? I think the easiest place to find it is sap.com slash media. Um, but we'll also be pushing out this through LinkedIn in the very near future. Yeah. And likewise, from a Qualtrics perspective, always obviously visit Qualtrics.com or I would encourage just reach out to me directly. I'm Eric Vogel at LinkedIn and it's Eric with a K. You can easily find me there. I'm very good at responding to personal message and happy to hear from anybody uh, who has more questions about Qualtrics uh, and experience in the streaming space. Uh, also happy to share the results of the study uh, that we did in Super. more detail. Super. Gentlemen, that's been fantastic. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.